You're really going to enjoy it. Um, as we go through this, this uh, wonderful book of beginnings, Genesis, this is like, these first chapters are like the legend to a road map. Get the whole road map. And down in the corner, it tells you how to understand the map. Genesis helps you understand the whole Bible. And I hope that you're excited. And I see it growth on Wednesday night. I'm so glad that you're here. If you really want to understand the rest of the Bible, you have to understand Genesis. Without this, you don't really get a clear picture of redemption. You don't get a clear picture of the rest of the scriptures. And you can ask some people that know, right? There are certain people in this room that have studied and they know and they'll tell you that. So we're in Genesis chapter 4, great stuff here. Let's ask God's blessing with the word of God open. Father, we thank you for the word, and I'm so grateful that we have the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, tonight as we look at it, that you would keep our attention captive. Lord, I, our minds wander so. I fill, us, fill me as, as your servant with the Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to communicate the truth of the word as it's written. I pray, Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth would be only words that you want us to hear and, and that you would help us, Lord, to listen, those of us that are here to study the, the word. I pray that it would bring understanding, but more than just knowledge, understanding of your great love for us so that we in turn can love one another more. So we just offer ourselves, we offer our ears and minds to hear what you have to say to us tonight. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Chapter 3, you know, is all about sin. How did sin come into the world? And then we ended with the consequences of sin, how, how they really, sin just rushes in after, after this first sin of Adam and Eve. It just kind of flows right through their family. And when, when we sin, let me just say this, and I know that you'll, you'll relate to this statement, but when we sin, we think that we can get away with it for the most part. We think we think we're doing it, no one else sees, you know, it's kind of in the dark, it's in the background, we're hiding behind people when we sneak that little, you know, gum out of the rack at the grocery store, whatever it might be, I don't know what, what it is for you. The little sin we get involved in, we think we can just kind of get away with it, we think that we're going to receive the maximum amount of pleasure with the minimum amount of consequences, but, but sin is never that way. It never works that way. There's always consequences for our sin. I have an illustration for you that kind of dates me, but when I was growing up here in town, right down here on Baseline, about, about a mile on the right-hand side, south side of Baseline, there was what was called a drive-in theater. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> You're laughing at me. Okay, and did you know there was one right here on Baseline? So some of you, some of you know that, not all of you. See, I'm a native. I'm, I'm a San Bernardinian. I'm a I'm homeboy. I know all about the drive-in. In fact, I know about that drive-in because there was that really uh, terrible, it was really a, an awful movie called The Exorcist. And when it came out, I didn't want to pay to go see it. So I went and snuck with a friend of mine from high school and we looked over the fence right down here at this drive-in. But it reminds me about sin and how sin just really overwhelms us. You know, there, there was a time when you would go to a drive-in theater and you didn't want to pay the full price. If you didn't want to pay the full price for the theater, in other words, for all the occupants of your car, somebody would hide in the trunk, right? <laughs> so, you know, a, a husband and wife, they pull up to the theater. The husband jumps in the back of the trunk. They come into the theater. They find their spot, you know, and it's, she goes to the back of the trunk to open it. And, and he's got the keys. Now, 
it's, cars aren't like that anymore. The, the, you can't get through the seat like you can now. The, you're stuck in the trunk. If that and that's what happened. This guy is stuck in the trunk. So now she's worried about her husband. She's got to tell the, the manager. He know, knows now. And they call the AAA to come and break the lock. And, and, of course, the sheriff pulls up behind there, you know, to hold them accountable. Sin. The, the illustration here is that sin... The ride is short, the price is high for sin. And we've seen that in the life of these first people. These first people are sinning over and over. Now, last week we looked at the first 16 verses here in chapter 4. I entitled it The Way of Cain, and most of us know what, what that illustrates. The way of Cain is the way of rebellion. The way of Cain is, is going against the flow, against your parents, against society, whatever it might be. But the way of Cain, and Cain was the first person born. And he's born, Adam and Eve were created, Cain is born. He's the first person born. It's interesting, his parents, Adam and Eve, were, were uh, created in a sinless paradise. They had everything going for them, a perfect world. But because of their choices to disobey God, they were kicked out of the garden. And sin rushed in and its consequences, just like the husband and wife with a car and the trunk and all. It, you get caught, you get busted, and the price is high. These people, they, they end up getting kicked out of the garden, Adam and Eve, and now they have to toil and have to sweat, and they're arguing with one another. That's what the Scripture would tell us. Chapter 4 begins with hope because they have the birth of a, of a child, and they know that there's a promise, a promise coming, the, the seed of the woman. They, they've heard that from God. It's going to crush the serpent's head. And so possibly in their minds, they could have been thinking, maybe our firstborn is going to crush the sick right away. But that wasn't to be because sin is rushing in and sin is now corrupting everything in their lives, in the world. It's, it's affecting everything. That's what chapter four is about. Cain, the first unrepentant person, kills his brother Abel with pride and jealousy, prejudice and and God gives Cain a chance. We looked at the end of, of uh, that section there in chapter 4. God gives him a chance. Cain doesn't repent. And we all know what Cain's reply was when God comes to him and says, where is your brother? Remember, am I my brother's keeper? That was arrogantly. I don't know where he is. You find him. You made him. Whatever. I mean, that's really, he's arrogant. That's, that's what, what comes as you read from that. So God curses Cain. Now, he curses Cain. Verse 12 says, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. In other words, you were a farmer, but now you can farm as much as you want, but you're never going to grow anything. It's always going to die. <laughs> Some of you have the curse of Cain in the garden. Some of you, you don't have the green thumb. It's like whatever I grow, try to grow, it dies. That's the curse of Cain. <laughs> now, Cain finds no resting place because now he becomes a fugitive and a vagabond is what the scripture says. He's going to be a fugitive. God, that's the curse on Cain. And here's the question I asked last week. I thought, told you I'd answer it. Here's the question. Why doesn't God kill him? He killed, he killed innocent Abel. Why doesn't God initiate capital punishment and kill Cain? Here's the answer. Cain is a sinner, but not a transgressor. He's not a transgressor because there's no law. Think about that. This is the first people. The first, there's no law. There's no Ten Commandments. God hasn't initiated it. And so God doesn't 
punish them in that way, he gives them a curse. That's why he does that. No capital punishment. God's going to establish that much later. So God does the same thing to Cain that he did to his parents when they sinned. And he, he gets cursed, and he is a vagabond. He's wandering. He, there's, there, it's, how is he going to get food? His father just picked the fruit. He was going to farm, and, and it was working. It was working for him. He was good at it. But now God's cursed him, and he can't get food out of the ground. Now he's got to wander, wander to get his food. That's, that's what the Scripture teaches. The way of Cain is unrepentant. He rejects God's way of forgiveness and salvation. God gives him an opportunity, as you recall, in that section so, what started in chapter 4 as a new beginning with the birth of a new child ends with death in the family and now division, division for the first family. And we pick up the narrative tonight with this shattered family, and it was all because of sin, sin in this first family's life. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 17, you'll get this again and again. For the day you eat of it, you will die. What is die? What is death? Well, they've experienced that now. They saw God sacrifice an animal to cover them. And now their son, second born, has been killed by their firstborn. Now they, they know Abel's dead. And their firstborn, Cain, is gone from them. Can you imagine this? Adam and Eve, because of their sin, their son dies and their, their firstborn son is blown out, out of the out of the crib, in a sense. I mean, he's out of their home. He's, he's away from them. They're, they're lonely parents. I mean, I mean, a broken home, clearly indicated here in this scripture. Now, what you're supposed to understand, and as I believe, as I read through this text, is the rapid decline of society, how quickly sin rushes into the world, and it taints everything. Everything gets just ruined because of Adam needs Eve's sin. The human race is running as it were, headlong into sin, and they just continue and sliding, sliding, moving quick, uh, closer and closer to, to death. And when I read these pages, I always see a, a direct connection between the sin of the early days and, and, and even war and suicide bombers and just hatred in our world today. There, there's a, there's a, a real connection there. Although, our warfare is much more devastating than it was even 20 years ago, 50 years ago. It's just completely devastating, and you can do it with a remote control on your iPhone. I imagine they're flying drones with iPhone. You know, the, the soldiers at the you know they have these pilots. I remember looking at that. I'd love to be. A, I'm a pilot by. I, I have a pilot's license, and I fly little aircraft and and hang gliders. I, I didn't need a license for that, but the pilot's license and. And they had an opportunity for any pilot to come and fly drones. The government was just dying for drone pilots. And I thought, man, if, if I really fail at being a pastor, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> Sit in a room and fly a drone. You know, that's, how cool could that be? But, but we do that from long distance. And we shoot a bullet, you know, a mile out. And so snipers, you know, a mile away and take people's heads off. And, and they shoot missiles from the Mediterranean, you know, hundreds of miles away and kill people. I mean, it's, it's, but it's still killing and it's murder and it's sin. And it's just, it's, it's just insane the way all of these things are happening just on a greater scale nowadays. We just do it quicker and more efficiently. But all of this results from Adam's sin. 
That's why I entitled the message tonight, Fruits of the Fall. These are the fruits of the fall. So let's read the text tonight, beginning in verse 17, chapter 4. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city. Now, that's not Enoch who built the city. It's Cain. Cain knew his wife. Cain bore a son. Cain built a city. And called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methuselah, or Methuselah, we say. Methuselah begot Lemek. Then Lemek, verse 19, took for himself two wives, and the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. This, we're going to look at each one of these sons, by the way. So notice verse 21. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. And then there was uh, Zillah, the second wife. She bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of craftsmen in bronze and iron. And the sister, so there's three boys and one girl to Lemek here, Tubal Cain, his sister was Nama. So when I read that and I, I look at that, I, the first reading I go, wow, let's go to dinner. You know, we're done. We just get a little genealogy here and a bunch of foreign names, a couple of details. But there's some really great, great nuggets of truth here I want to share with you tonight. This is the history of civilization. And remember, we're getting all the first. The world's created, the first sin, the first family. And, and now we're looking at this family and this genealogy here. This is a very unique time uh, in biblical history that is being revealed to you. There's no other writing that tells about this group of people than this one chapter, Genesis chapter 4. It's, these people are known as, as pre-flood people, or this word, I'll throw it up behind me on the screen, antediluvian, antediluvian. It's just kind of a long word, anti, it's the Latin word, anti meaning before, diluvium meaning deluge, before the deluge, before the Flood. This is Genesis 4 is all about before the flood, the people who lived before the flood. You could even say they were, they were prehistoric people. These are the prehistoric people in the Bible. I want you to keep that thought in mind because I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But again, this anti or antediluvian people here. And my next point, civilization before the flood. That's what we're going to look at, these people that lived pre-flood. Now, when we refer to the first society or the antediluvian society, when you read uh, commentaries, when you, you need to understand that, that term, it's an interesting term, but as I break it down, you understand what it means. But when you read commentaries and you read about the first society or the civilization on the world before the flood, and we're going to get to the universal flood, so let me just show you that. We'll get there in a few weeks, but I want to jump in there really quick. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6 is the, the flood which covers the entire earth, drowning all humanity. Um, they're all killed, all destroyed, all living mammals. Only eight people survived. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. That's it. Eight people 
are all that are left. Everything else is wiped out completely, and there's a reason. We're going to get there, but, but here's the point. Look, look at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I'm, I'm going to destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here, we're going to look at that in the future. We're going to see all of that, and we'll go deep into that. But, but here's, here's the, the reality of sin rushing in the world. Can you imagine? I mean, when you read that verse, that when God looks at man, all he sees is the evil intention of their heart. It never changes. It gets worse and worse and worse, and so God has to intervene. That's, that's quite a commentary on man, isn't it? Go to chapter 7, verse 21. I want you to show you this. Genesis 7, verse 21. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. So God accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. Killed everything but these eight people. Birds died. Everything but the fish, right? The fish, they didn't die. But all the flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, cattle, beasts of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And every man. All, verse 22, in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man, man and cattle, creeping thing and the bird of the air. They were all destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Now, let me just stop right here with that thought. How many know that, that Ken Ham is going to open the ark encounter July 7th. How many know that? Do you know that? Okay, some of you have that. And if you don't know that, you need to Google Ark Encounter. Google that. Um, the Ark Encounter is it's the lar largest timber frame structure in the world. It's a, it's a replication of the Ark. Uh, and and I, what I want to do um, is take a tour from our church in September, the end of September, and uh, go back there, fly back there, and spend like a Monday through Friday touring uh, the, not only the ark, it has 150 rooms. I've been watching this. I've been a fan of Ken Ham's for, for like 20 years now. I've met him. I've talked to him. I know him uh, in that, just a handshake way. Uh, he's been at many pastor's conferences. And uh, we used his curriculum to educate our children. We homeschooled our kids. And so we used his curriculum. We were really familiar with his ministry. And he has a creation museum there in Kentucky, but he also has this ark encounter that's going to open. It's, it's, it's just going to be like a Christian uh, amusement park in the sense that inside the ark, there's 150 spaces that replicate how all these animals could be preserved in this ark for these 40 days and nights while it rained and everything else died. And he's going to have live animals in a zoo outside. He's got the ark and the encounter. You walk through it. It takes hours to get through. There's a place to eat. There's, I'm sure there's a store to buy stuff, little stuffed animals and things. But I want to go in September, and I really want to know if anybody wants to go with. So I'm going to try to put something together. If you are interested, let me know tonight or let Barbara know. Call the office if you're interested. It, it's going to be an airfare and a few nights in hotel and food. So, it, you know, it's, it's not going to be cheap. But I, I can't imagine it being more than eight or 900 bucks. 
But I think it'd, it'd be really a great education, and I hope to do that in September. So there's my quick little, if you're interested, let me know after, after church. Let's get back to, go back to chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4 now. So everything's do- dead. This is, this is in the future here, Genesis uh, 5, 6, and 7. We're going to get there in a couple weeks. But, but now we're in this antediluvian, pre-flood society. We just read about the flood, how it kills everybody. But we're in this, ant- this, this pre-flood state, this antediluvian society, a time before the universal f- uh, flood here. Genesis 4 is a very, very important piece of Scripture that gives us information about these people and what they did. And... Uh, so that, that's why I want to spend a little time here. After Cain kills Abel, after he murders his brother, you remember he's sentenced to wander on the earth. No one can touch him. If they do, they're going get to the, get punished. They're going to die. And so I don't know how that, that was meted out on him. I don't know if he had a number on his forehead. Like in Revelation, you know, there's a, there's a number of the beast, and then God gives us a new name, and it's on our foreheads. Very interesting in the book of Revelation. I don't know how he was marked, but he's marked. Um, the scripture doesn't really tell us. There's a lot of strange ideas out there, but the scripture doesn't say. But um, he's, he's going to live, but he's going to wander. He's going to be a wanderer on the earth. No one can kill him. So the question is, what is he going to do and where is he going to go? That's what these verses are all about. Cain and the birth of a secular civilization. And this secular civilization is going to spiral out of control. And we're going to see how it just, from chapter four to chapter six, where God says, I look at the heart of man and all they have is these evil intentions in their heart. So that's what we're seeing. These people, the beginning of this culture, this secular civilization, a society that lived apart from God and his guidance. They didn't want anything to do with God. Remember, Cain's running. Cain's running, and now he's going to stop somewhere. He's supposed to be a wanderer, but he's going to stop in disobedience to God, and he's going to plant roots, and he's going to build a city. But that's what we're going to see here. What happens to a society that rebels against God? One answer is it prospers. And I want you to see this. Look at this verse behind me, Psalm 73. For I was envious of the boastful, the writer of the psalm says, I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, pride severs or serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish. Have you ever been there? You know, it's it's like I said, Sonny, your neighbor has the best car, the best this, the best that. And you're, man, I, I, I slave, I love the Lord, I, I go through trials, I, I strive, and look at the neighbor, they're, they're sinners, and look at they have all this stuff, and that's what he's saying here. They prosper. The prosperity of the wicked has always aggravated God's people, always. And, and David is saying something right there that I was envious of the boastful. So the question becomes, why do the lawbreakers seem to prosper, but they don't prosper? Look at this verse. This is Later on, verse 17 of Psalm 73, look at this verse. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. See, the, now he's waking up. He's going back to the sanctuary. And he said, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. The end of, of sinful life and rejection of God is exactly that. Slippery places and destruction. So don't, don't get into that place, Christian. Be 
be very careful that you don't get into a place where you, you envy the proud, the sinful, the boastful. Don't, don't go there. Because, because when you go in the sanctuary of God, you know God loves you. God's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. But this section, again, I'm saying all that to say this. This section, Genesis chapter 4, these verses, beginning in verse 17, we're going to see this secular society. It's unrepentant, just like Cain, who is unrepentant and was unrepentant. And Cain builds a city. My first point, notice verse 17 again. And Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch, and Cain also built a city. That doesn't mean Enoch built a city, but I believe it means here, as you read it in the, in the way the Hebrew lays it out, it's, it's Cain. He built a city, and he called the name after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, th- these are antediluvian people or pre-flood people, and the world is in a totally different state than what you see now. Ever been to the Grand Canyon? I love Bryce and Zion. Bryce is one of my absolute favorite national parks, Bryce. I've been there tons of times with my family. Love it. My family loves it. My kids love it. We've been there. It's gorgeous. It shows erosion in a big way, just like if you go to the Grand Canyon. Erosion in a big way, right? Before the flood, no Grand Canyon. No high mountains, really. Everything's kind of rolling. God makes, and remember the pictures I showed you months ago of how God created the world. When he created the world, there's just really one land mass in the middle of all the water. And that's, that's kind of the condition we're in right now. And when the flood comes, it's going to cataclysmically bust apart the, the continents. Boom! And they, you see how they kind of fit together if you look at them. And it's like, oh, Africa kind of nestles right in that area where South America and America. You're going to see it all. And, and everything changes as a result of the flood. The flood is a huge cataclysmic event. But at this time, pre-flood, the world's semi-flat. You know, not a lot of ravines or hills. Um, there's a mist covering. There's no rain. It's never rained. There's a mist covering the whole planet. No weather, no wind, no rain. Really, there's no weather on the planet that we would know now. There's no tsunamis. There's no natural disasters, floods. There's nothing like that. It's just running water through and, and a beautiful setting. It's a perfect place, and animals are abundant. Plants and trees are all over the place. And, and as a result, people lived a lot longer than they do now. Now, chapter 5, as we'll, we'll get into chapter 5 later, but it gives us the genealogy from Adam to Noah. This time period from Adam to Noah. The genealogy is right there. I talked about that a a couple of months ago when we were starting our Bible study to indicate the age that I believe the earth is, and I'll give that to you again later tonight. But the genealogy from Adam to Noah in chapter 5, and we learn as we look at that, and even this section here tonight, that people lived for years and years, hundreds of years. Adam's 900-something years old before he dies. All these people are living a lot longer because of the pre-flood or antediluvian period. There's no UV rays coming through the thick canopy of mist. There's no viruses. It's a perfect place. God made the world perfect. Remember, it was perfect, complete. So there's no virus. There's no sickness. There's no UV rays. The people just lived for a long amount of time. All of them did. Very interesting. Again, Adam, 930 years. And Eve, think about it. Eve would have lived 900 years, 
too, I would think. You know, it doesn't say, but, but I think she would have lived that long. Now, think about the amount of people that are going to be born in this period of time. Adam and Eve, if they had children, let's say for, for half of their lifespan, 500 years. They lived 930 years. So for 500 years, they have kids. And let's say they have a child every five years. For 500 years. That's 100, right? That, that's just one. And then all those kids are going to have kids. So these people are living for many, many years, all of them, and they're all having, they're being fruitful and multiply. That's what God wanted. I mean, he provided for that for them. So they're, they're all having kids, and their kids are having kids, and lots of kids are coming, and they're all living for a long time. They're not living for a few years, but they're living for a long time. James Montgomery Boyce, a great author, pastor, he mentions one authority in his, his uh, commentary. He says, if half the normal number of children grew up and half of those got married and half of those had children, Adam would have lived to see one million descendants. From the time that Adam and Eve had their first, Cain and Abel, to the time they died at 930, if you just kind of half everything, half everything, one million people. So you think about that. I mean, the population is exploding here. Society is growing, but they're not looking to God. They're growing and spiraling and out of control in this. They're sliding right into sin rapidly because by the time we get chapter 6, like I read tonight, remember, their hearts were evil. So this is what is being depicted here in chapter 4. People could easily be having children into their four or 500 years. So in the 800 years of Cain's life, there would have been thousands of people, millions on the planet. Scholars estimate by the time you, you go another 800 years after Cain, which, by the way, when you add all this up, the first 800 years and then the next day, you get about 1,600 years from Adam to Noah. And then from Noah to Christ, you get another 2,000 years. That's how many years? Around 4,000. And then from Jesus to now, another couple thousand years. So how old does that make the earth? Now, I told you from the beginning that I believe every word of the Bible is true. And you might be thinking, well, you know, that is, that's so unscientific. I, it's biblical. Are you going to trust a scientist? Are you going to trust the Bible? It really comes down to that. You can shoehorn and add and think and muse and assume if you want. I, I just simply take the scriptures simply, and I believe that's the, the scripture makes that very clear. Now, verse 17 says, Cain knew his wife. And the question that you always get is, who was Cain's wife? Okay, now remember the millions of people that are going to be born over these long periods of time. It doesn't tell us when he got married. Very well could have been a sister. We don't know. Could have been a cousin. We don't know. I, I would generally kind of believe and say it was probably one of his sisters. There's a lot of people being born at this time. He's a wanderer, so he's wandered around for a while, and maybe he wandered back to home and married one of his sisters. We don't know. It doesn't say, and we don't know how long he wandered until he you know, found a wife. But he knew his wife which is a wonderful, easy way that you understand. And he has, she becomes pregnant. If you really think about the generations after the flood, 
Um, it's it's going to be generations after the flood where God is going to deny, he's going to actually deny and prohibit um, any kind of incest or any kind of inter-family marriage. That's going to be later, later. And the reason is because mutations and disease and all that stuff, that wasn't even occurring here. So this you have to keep in perspective what's going on and who these people are and how they fit into the timeline of, of God's history here. When you do, you, you, you'll get a better picture and you'll, you'll understand. But here in the beginning, before the flood, they, these humans lived in this pristine genetic system, devoid of any mutant genes or viruses or any things like that. All of those things came as a result of the fall, and they're going to come, but they're going to come much later. Because again, everything was perfect. God made the world perfect and without any sin, without any virus and that kind of thing. That's all going to come later. So people, they lived a lot longer. And like the scripture says, that's how they lived that long. You don't really believe they lived. I do believe they lived that long. That's what the scripture says. They lived that long. Now, the, the rapid growth in population, again, helps us to understand why Cain now is going to build a city. In this verse 17, he, he builds a city, which is another first in Genesis. Cain becomes the first developer or the city planner of his day. He, he, he's building a city. But in building a city and settling down, he's really rebelling against God. Remember, he was sent to be a wanderer, but he's rebelling and he's going to settle down. So Cain is, is totally unrepentant and he continues in his rebellion, even in, in building this city. And you have to uh, assume some things about this text here, that, that people in this anti-diluvian or anti, pardon me, anti-diluvian state, pre-flood state, um, you have to believe that they're stronger than you and I. And you have to believe that they're using their mind way more than you and I would because they were created by God in a perfect environment and it was totally different. And they're living longer lives. It's very important for you to, to really understand that these people had years to perfect their skills. Can you imagine being a carpenter for 900 years? For doing what you do right now, you, you spend 30 years and go, I want retirement, man. I'm tired of doing this. And you might not even master what it is you do. But what if you did that thing for five, six, seven hundred years? You'd get really, really good at it, wouldn't you? I mean, I would hope. I'd hope you'd get. And so think about it. They have intellect that's beyond us. You, they have this in, they're using all their brains. I don't know. What's the percentage of our brains that we use now? They always say it's a real low percentage. Mine's probably lower than yours, but, but it's in the, like the 10 percentile, isn't it? These people, I believe, use intellect in a totally different way, and they were stronger people. There was no disease and no genetic uh, mutations. And, and so these people, they were strong. They were able to do all these things. They lived for a long time, very experienced, very productive. But it's the curse that, that brings everything into decline. Everything is in decline because of the curse. In other words, you are not getting stronger. You are only going to live what? 80 years, 90 years. Some people live 100. My grandma, like I told you, my grandma died at 100. But 80 years, I mean, that's, that's a long, healthy, productive life, right? 80 years. And, but, but it's when you become 50, I'm 58, okay? I'm going to be 59 in July. And when I turn 59, I, I'll tell you this, I am like chemically controlled right now. 
I'm taking a, a cholesterol-lowering drug, and, and then, and, you know, I know friends. I got friends, and they're, they got this thing going, and they're taking that pill, and, and we start getting controlled by chemistry. These people, they lived 900 years. You and I, we have to be chemically controlled to live, live the brief 80 years that we live. But here's, here's the real truth. Entropy, remember we talked about entropy and how it affects the world. The, the, the truth, the scientific truth that everything is in decline, everything, every cell in your body, the sun is burning out. It's not getting gr- bigger. The sun isn't growing bigger and bigger and massing more energy. It's, it's burning out, right? Entropy says everything is, is in decline, a, in a constant state of decline. Everything's breaking down. So these antediluvian people here, more intelligent, more skilled, more experienced than you and I, live far longer, healthier, uh, 900 years long. It's an amazing time, these, these people that lived in this pre-flood era. Now, I want you to think about this, how the Bible presents primeval man. This is it, chapter 4 of Genesis. This is God presenting. This is God's history book, and he's presenting primeval man here. Um, primeval doesn't mean ape-like at all. All it means is first, first age, pri, primeval. It just, it's a Latin word again, first age. So these are the first age people here. Primeval man, the Bible says, are intelligent. They're skilled. They built cities. They had craftsmen. They have musicians. They, these people here. It's the world. It's your high school biology teacher. It's your college professor that tells you that primeval men were knuckle-dragging, hairy Neanderthals that just brawl and ate fish and lived in caves. The scripture tells us that these people were very intelligent. If you don't understand Genesis, you don't understand anything. Do you, do you get that? This is so important for you to understand God, his love, his plan, his plan of redemption, his plan for people. We just get so messed up with, with and we're inundated with evolution, right? Everything has evolution to, to promote it in any way. So Christian, you have to get your Bible mind on if you're really going to be wise in the world that you live in. If you have this kind of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. If you have this kind of understanding, God's word, you can master all kinds of things. This is where wisdom begins. But the Bible presents primeval man as, as just an intelligent and creative and long-living people. It's, it's wonderful. This is the people that we're looking at. And again, they're created in God's image. Their mental capacities and health is superior to ours. So we have Cain and millions of pre-flood people. They settled down in a city. That's what it says right here, verse 17. And then beginning in verse 18, we have Cain's family line. This is what we're going to look real quick, verse 18. To Enoch was born Irad, to Irad begot Mahujiel, Mahujiel begot Methus, it's really Sha'el, or we say Methuselah, and then he begot Lamech. So Cain's geology which actually continues all the way through verse 24. We'll see that tonight. There's 11 names, seven generations when you read that whole section from Adam to Lamech, and then his four children. Cain's line begins with this name here, this Enoch here in verse 17. That's, that's where we start. We have Cain and Enoch, and off we go. Now, it's really interesting. Enoch 
is in the, the, the Enoch that's in chapter 5 that we all know about is, is the righteous guy. It's a different Enoch. And, and we're going to see the contrast next week in this secular, hedonistic, Cain-like, the way of Cain society, secular society. And then we're going to see Seth. Seth's generation is uh, chapter, uh, verse 25 and on into chapter 5. And uh, we're going to see that. They were, they were God-fearing, so there's more of a sacred culture. But here we're focusing on this, this sinful culture and the way of Cain. And this Enoch, or Lemech's children, is why we have this name Lemech here. Lemech, they'd say in, in Israel. I love that way they talk. It's just a beautiful thing. You know, we, it's hard to imitate without splattering on people, but, it's, but it's a, it really is a beautiful, beautiful language. I probably shouldn't say that. Um, what you're going to find in the scripture from this point on is there going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of Cain's, there's going to be a lot of Enoch's, there's going to be a lot of names that are similar over and over again. I'm named after my dad, I'm a junior. You might be named after somebody else. Most of us are named after somebody, movie star. You know, now it's like the wind or summer or, or whatever, you know. I don't know how people name their kids anymore. It's strange, but it's okay. It's okay if you have a name like that. It's a beautiful thing. Their names are beautiful. But... but in the Bible, you'll see people that have the same names, and they just kind of repeat it over and over again. And that's what we see here. So, so don't get confused with the names. That's why sometimes you'll see a name in a city. He was the, the named in the city together so we can identify that person. In these first two verses, we have the beginning of society in a city, Cain's family line. My next point, we have Lemek. And here's where society goes. Berserk here goes, goes bad, goes against God. We have He's a polygamist, Lemek. He's a polygamist. Notice verse 19. Then Lemek took to himself two wives. This is the first in the Bible. And there's a reason that we're seeing that and why it's here. Again, God's showing and revealing all this to us as we're reading through his history here. Lemek's name means conqueror or strong man. And Lemek is the one now who becomes a model of the way of Cain. He becomes the poster boy of the way of Cain. He just continues in the, the footsteps of his father in rebellion here. And he's even named in Jude. Look at this verse from the New Testament, Jude 1.11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily into the air of Balaam for profit, perished in the rebellion of Korah, the way of Cain. And that's Lemek here. Lemek becomes the prototype of a Canaanite. Canaanite. Canaanite culture. Rebellious people. Anti-God. And we're going to see that a lot as we go through Genesis. But verse 19 tells us about his rebellious story here. He takes two wives. Now, if you stop there for a moment, remember in... Genesis chapter 1 and then articulated further in Genesis chapter 2 that God said that he provides for man's aloneness a woman. And it was God who says one woman, one man for a lifetime commitment. That's God. That's, that's what marriage is. Even though it's been redefined in our culture, it's not, that's not marriage. Marriage is one man, one woman, lifetime, clearly articulated in the scripture. Monogamy is what God once, Genesis 2, 24, you leave your father and mother and you, what? 
cleave, that means you glue together and for a lifetime commitment. Marriage is to be a lifetime commitment. That's the scripture. That's what we're to obey. But, but he takes two wives here. He's a bigamist, a polygamist as well. He becomes the first one. Now, again, this is all evidence of a society that's out of control. They're, they're spiraling out of control. It's getting worse and worse. They're, they're not evolving and getting better. Nobody's getting better. They're devolving into sin, and this is the evidence here of moral decline. Lemech is only the seventh generation from Adam, who, by the way, is still alive at his birth and kind of watches what he does. Adam is alive. This 930 years, he, he's alive. But Lemech becomes a prototype or a model of, cor- of a corrupt Canaanite. He's a Canaanite. He comes from Cain. And so... Um, just the rebellion. That's what we're seeing as we look at this. He takes two wives. And just because the, the Bible doesn't make a moral comment here, it doesn't stop and pause and say, you know, this is really a bad thing. The Bible just says he took two wives. So we can assume naturally from Genesis 2.24, God's intention was one woman, one man, monogamy. And the perversion of it is Lemek who takes two wives. He, he disobeys the standard. He violated the scripture. Like, listen to this, Abraham, like Jacob, like David. I mean, on and on. They disobeyed the scriptures. They were, they were in total disobey, uh, they were disobeying the word. They were in sin. They chose to do their own thing. And whenever you do that, in all of their lives, you can look at it. It brings forth death. It brings forth conflict. Whenever you step out of God's way, you have all kinds of problems. And then you get to Solomon. How many wives did he have? I mean, hundreds. And what did he say about life? Vanity. It's all vanity. Vanity just means breath. It's just... It's word. There's nothing. There's nothing there. It's all nothing. Life is vanity. He had some 600 wives. Men, don't even look at another woman. <laughs> don't even do that. Just, in, just love your wife. Love her as much as you can. That's what God wants us to do. But again, this family line that we're looking at here, Lemech, model of rebellion, corrupt society. He, he goes from a monogamous marriage to taking two wives. He's, he's just rebellious to the core. And up until this point, there aren't really any laws, nothing written down. God hasn't made any laws. The Ten Commandments haven't been given. But God had defined marriage one way, and Lemek violated God's plan. That's the point you're supposed to see. And then look at verse 19 there, the end of it. The name of one of his wives, they're named here, Ada, and the name of the second is Zillah. Ada means ornament or pretty. Zillah is a word in the Hebrew that means a sweet-sounding voice. So you have pretty and sweet voice here. And we don't really have any more about their character. We just have these two names. So we can just kind of assume, but we're not sure. So he marries pretty and and this gal with a real sweet-sounding voice. And these two wives give him four children. And here's the bigger point that we're seeing Society expand, and it's coming from Lemek, this rebellious man that's rejecting God. And my next point here, a new urban culture develops. Verse 20, and Ada, or pretty, she bore Jabal, 
He was the father of those who dwell in tents and livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. So here we're getting the forefathers of music and the forefather here, the, the originator of the, the uh, herder or the rancher. In verse 22, we, Zillah, his second wife, sweet voice, she bore Tubal Cain, which is interesting, second wife. I'm going to name my firstborn after my husband. Maybe he'll pay me more attention. I don't know if that was going on, but Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And then they had a sister, um, Nama, and there's really no information on the sister here. But these three boys and a girl, they, again, this is all giving us insight into this pre-Diluvian or anti-Diluvian or pre-flood society. This is our history. There's these people here that we only know a little bit about. It gives us the timing of it, but we don't know anything more. But these people and the description of their work is what we're to see here. The sons, all three of them have a similar name. If you look again, Jabal, Jubal, Tubal. They all have the Ubal thing going on there, the, the Hebrew. And, and that word, that word in the Hebrew means to produce. And they're all going to be producing things. And they're going to do it for many, many years because they're living a long time. Okay, so that's the point here. They're all going to be highly productive. And, and Jubal, if you notice again, Jubal is a rancher. He's keeping livestock. He's in a tent. They're moving the herds around, around, all over the place. So, so this first son of Lemech, Jabal is his name. He's a rancher, breeding horses, breeding livestock, selling livestock. must have been eating meat, and at least I, that's what I'm seeing, slaughtering animals, skinning hides for, for clothing or whatever it might be. That's what they're doing. That's what this guy's doing. And he's doing it for year after year. He's providing food. He's providing sh uh, clothing. He's providing uh, uh, tents and, sh and shelter and that, all from the breeding of animals and livestock. They lived in tents. And then Jubal was a musician. He's an entertainer. Now, I love music. I studied music in school, and I, I'm a musician myself. I, I love that fact. And I can't imagine living in a world without music. And here we have right in the beginning, we have music. It's, it's, it comes from this Jubal. He's the father of music here, Jubal. He must have been able to make instruments. There are two instruments here named that he makes. Again, think about 900 years, or I don't know how long he lived, but he lived for a long time, hundreds of years. So in that time, he's developing instruments and new sounds and rhythms, and it's pretty cool. I mean, that's what he did. He was a musician, but he makes two instruments, the harp. It's the kinnauer, the kinnauer in the Hebrew. It's either a handheld harp or a violin, something of that nature with strings and a, a box to resound. And then the flute, the ogrob, the ogob there is the panpipe or recorder, kind of an instrument, flute. Um, so there are two different instruments that he makes, but he's the musician. And then uh, Lemek's other wife, Zilla, she has Tubal Cain, and he's the craftsman of metal. He's the blacksmith. He's the, he's the, he must be a big dude. I mean, how do you, how do you um, get ore out of the ground? How do you get brass and copper and metal? You have to mine it, and then you have to heat it, and then you have to beat it up, and you have to, you know, you got to be a big muscular person to do that, to shape that uh, thing. But he was a craftsman at metal. That's what he was all about. So here you have these three sons, and they're living in a city. They're not out in the field anymore. They're providing services for a society. That's the whole idea here. 
The society is growing, it's prospering, and they're selling and buying and trading. And here are these three sons that are all involved in all these different kinds of things that take talent, strength, intelligence, and they're, make, they're, they're craftsmen. I mean, he's got to be a... Musicians are intelligent, no matter what they say about drummers. They're, they're intelligent. <laughs> Pre-deluvian people, intelligent, creative, live longer. That's the idea. Now... If we didn't have Genesis chapter 4, we wouldn't know about these creative people, would we? We wouldn't have any idea who they were, what they did, what the people were. We, we, we would buy the lie that they're, they're knuckle-dragging Neanderthals, really. But they're not. These are very intelligent people. The Bible teaches that these prehistoric people that lived Genesis 4, these, these years before the flood, were very intelligent. Think about how evolution is in the schools. We begin with a stone age, right? Where there was, there's all this time period that blows up in billions and billions of years of evolution. And then finally we have these Neanderthals that crawl out from the ocean and become apes and they drag their knuckles and grunt and they, they, all they do is live in caves and it's called the what? What age? The stone age, right? The stone age. Reminds me of the Flintstones. You know, I was thinking, driving my car. The Flintstone mobile, you know, and that was like 100 years before Christ, supposedly. That was, I mean, 100,000 years. 100,000 years before Christ, you have the Stone Age. And then you go from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age. That was like 4,000 years before Christ because there's bronze now and, and there's things that are formed in bronze. And then you go from that to the Iron Age and then on to Christ. So the world has this view of these people and how they evolved, but the Bible says they were intelligent, they were smart. Again, you got to get your Bible on when you start thinking evolution has no place in the scriptures, not in the scriptures. If you want to believe that, you can go right ahead and do that. You can, you can just swim down that stream with all those other fish. I prefer to believe in the scriptures, and I, I'm perfectly happy. I taught my children this. I believe this. I believe what the scripture says. It's here in Genesis chapter 4. That, that tells us that these people were intelligent and it was their, the grand poppy, granddad Cain, who has these children and the, starts this city and, and the city that has talent. Yes, there's talent there. That's why I gave you that psalm at the beginning, you know. How come the, the unrighteous get all this stuff? God has made us in his image, and everybody's creative. You can be a, a creative sinner. I mean, they're all around us, musicians all around you. They're, they're great, talented musicians, but they're just going to hell. You know, you can just tell. They love it. They talk about it. They, they act like it. But this people, these people that lived these 1,600 years from Adam to Noah, no bronze, no iron, no stone age, just this time of the city and all this stuff going on. So the Bible says that people became civilized and highly developed. And the bottom line here is that Cain and his family are the elements of rebellious civilization or secular society, a culture that's gone out of control. And it, it, it moves right into our modern society. I can make all kinds of equations, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Man's sin are multiplying. They're getting worse and worse. And by the time we get to chapter 6, they're done. 
God judges them and they're, they're done. They're going to be judged as wicked. Now, real quick for just the closing here, look at verse 23 and 24. And we're going to see Lamech, and I'm calling him a thug here, the thug Lamech, because that's really what he is. Notice what he says. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. For I killed a man for, for wounding me, even a young man for touching me, hurting me. If Cain, great, 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 great granddad Cain can be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. I mean, he's much worse than Cain. He's like a godfather here. He's saying, you know, you touch me, I'm going to kill you. He's a thug. That's what he's saying here. But again, here's the, what you're supposed to see is that society is not evolving, getting better and better and creative. The society is getting worse and worse and worse. This first city, first society that's been depicted here in chapter 4 ends up with this thug. Now, next, next week we're going to look at, at Seth. Seth was a good godly man. And, and praise the Lord, he's always got his remnant, right? God has, but, but it's, it's, it's from Seth's line that we'll get Noah. But, but this is interesting, this whole story here. Wicked is, or, or uh, Lemech is a, a, a very wicked man, and not in the good sense wicked, but, but the bad sense wicked. But again, keep this in mind, Christians, learn your Bible, understand what the scriptures say. Don't buy the lie of all those people that say, Billions of years ago, this happened because they don't have video, they don't have records, they don't have anything. We have the scriptures. And, and uh, I, I'm so grateful for God's word. And when we have this and when we learn this, we'll understand the bigger picture, the big map. This is the legend we're looking at now. We're going to understand the big picture. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. I just thank you tonight, Lord, for the truth of this, this one and only depiction of these these antediluvian people here in Genesis 4, their intelligence and creativity is, is just off the scale. The, the time period in which they lived and the, the amount of the years of life you've given them, Lord, and all that you did through them. I just am ashamed, Lord, when I look at culture and this culture that we're looking at here in Genesis 4, how, how awful it was, how sinful it was, how... It got worse and worse and worse until you condemned it. Lord, I live in a, in, a, in a society now that just seems so bad. It seems so corrupt. And yet, Lord, you allow us to live. You give us breath. I pray, Lord, that we as your people would love you, that we would understand who we are, where we fit into the world, that we're your people, that we're, we're really, we belong to you, that you'll provide for us, that you give us a future. We have a hope. We, we know you because you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, and belief in him has brought forgiveness of sins and new eternal life. And I, I just thank you, God, for that, the hope we have. Teach us as we go through the scriptures. Encourage us, Lord, with your word. As we read about the genealogy, Lord, bring out these truths, these nuggets of truth, Lord, so that we can understand your word and understand where we fit into history. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.